With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Hi, welcome back to Sky Dragon Slaying. I'm your host, John O'Sullivan, CEO of Principia Scientific International. Joining me, co-host Joe Postma, Canadian astrophysicist. Um, We're now going to move on to a subject that uh, is quite close to my heart, being a former high school teacher. School absenteeism is actually on the rise. It's been a problem now for a few years. Uh, I noticed it really taking off badly during during the pandemic. Uh, Education, education, education. That was always the watchword for many politicians. You know, the public schools have to be, you know, standards have to be raised. And uh, it's not really working out very well. A new study um, published in the US recently has revealed a a chronic absentee problem plaguing American schools. And... uh, teachers are finding it very difficult to entice children back into the classrooms. This phenomenon has been going on yeah, for, for a few years, to be fair. Um, helping us do a bit of a deep dive on it is Dr. Carol Lieberman, known as America's psychiatrist. Dr. Lieberman is a board-certified Beverly Hills psychiatrist, best-selling author, award-winning author of several books. She's also a TV news talk commentator on topical psychological and social political points, and uh, she's appeared on many big shows, Oprah, The Today Show, Good Morning America, CNN, Fox News, you know, you name it. She's done it all. Uh, good morning, Dr. Lee Boone. How are you today? Good morning. Fine, thank you. It's really good to have you on because th- this topic, this school, public school problem is not going away. And uh, you, you picked up on this. And, uh, you know, you, you're like me. You, you, you want to expose it all for what it really is. You've made the point. You're saying it's um, you point the finger at Democrats, you're pointing the finger at politicians. Um, what's made you come to that conclusion? Mm-hmm. Well, um, first of all, although this there's been an increase in chronic absenteeism for a while now, the thing that really kicked it off uh, to be a disaster is the pandemic and the lockdowns. Because what happened was when students came back to school, they were so far behind. Um, you know, I was saying at the time that schools should just have a rule that everybody has to repeat the year. Whatever year they were in at the time or two years, they need to repeat it. And that way it wouldn't put any one particular student, you know, um, making them look bad that they are repeating it. They must be dumb if they're repeating it. If everybody had to do it, it would have started everybody out on the same foot and they wouldn't have lost as much from the pandemic. So that was that was that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, and then, of course, you know, on the background, though, besides the before and after the pandemic, um, increasingly uh, is what students are learning in school. And um, the reason why it's coming up now is because there was a new study that showed that schools have 10 percent uh, of students are chronic absentees. Now, that number is really a a big underestimate because schools don't want to say exactly how many students are chronically absent because they make their money depending upon how many students are present. So that study came out and that's why we need to take a look at this again. Yeah, I'd like to throw into the, let me just make a point, please. I just want to 
before you get in there, Joe, I, I just want to make a point that you, you say about the hidden numbers, and I can totally agree with what you're saying, because uh, I was a middle manager in high school uh, many years ago, and we always made the point of making sure we had the highest uh, number on roll at the beginning of the academic year. We were at pains to make sure for the first few weeks the numbers were high. And th that was when the administrators, you know, would see that, oh, th th that's the number on roll. That will be the, the key for the funding. Um, yeah. Obviously, once that uh, benchmark point is passed, then you see the drop off. Teachers then and so forth, they're less inclined to chase the absenteeism. They're less inclined to, to spend time on that issue because the money's coming in. And as we all know, you're getting more money for less work with fewer 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 students in the classroom you know you're doing very well so again it's this this nonsense idea that the public education system is all well and good but it's not because there's a hidden agenda there isn't isn't there carol well yes <laughs> excuse me that's the other part of it um first of all just to just to finish what i was saying before about you know how the lockdowns uh, had a big impact it's because when the students came back, and this happens in general, not just after the lockdowns, now too, as students um, start to not attend school, start to miss school, um, then they come back and, and they don't know what's going on, and so they don't do well on tests, and so that discourages them. You know, they don't want to keep going to school and, and feeling bad about themselves, doing badly. Um, and so it kind of snowballs, but okay. So that's, you know, obviously it's very bad for, for students to miss school. They're not learning. Um, they end up in, in dead end jobs uh, and so on. But there's the other side of it, which is that, um, and, and another contributor, a big contributor to why there are so many students not attending. Um, that is at least in America, the, uh, what they're being taught. You know, what is going on in the classroom? And in America, it has been creeping into the curriculum over the years. Um, CRT, first of all, critical race theory, where a teacher tells a student, um, you know, I mean, the general gist of the lesson is that there are oppressors and there are the oppressed and the white people are uh, the oppressors and the black people or colored people um, are the oppressed. And so what does that do? I mean, it's unbelievable that this has been going on in schools because what it does is kids kids aren't born racist. You know, when they start in the playground, they just um, make friends, you know, based upon who they like or who's nice or, you know, it's not on the based on the color of their of their of a person's skin, of a classmate's skin. And yet when they bring in this um, CRT and start, it divides the class, it brings in racism. It is growing, it has been and is growing racism in schools. Mm -hmm. And that makes kids feel very uncomfortable. And, um, and you know, so it's like they're under this stress when they're in the classroom about that on top of trying to learn. Yeah. Well, there's that. It's like they're under this stress when they're in the classroom about that on top of trying to learn. Yeah. Well, there's that. And then there's also, 
Yeah, well, and there's that, and then there's also the whole sexual revolution agenda that they're teaching now too, which which is really just insane. Teaching these children that they're they shouldn't be comfortable. I mean, it used to be, you know, especially for young women, helping women feel young ladies feel comfortable in their new changing bodies as they mature. Now it's just like, oh, you don't like that? Well, here, guess what? You can get a mastectomy. You can get your yeah. uterus cut out. You can have your ovaries removed. I mean, it's just it's hein It's so heinous. It's unbelievable that we would like there was no fiction from our movies or writing that would get this bad. We have 1984. We're way, way beyond. No one envisioned that that's what we would tell our children, our young ladies yeah. and our young, young men in the future. That is the second half of it. It's the CRT and all this uh, pressure for on students to become trans, to become anything other than what they were born into, the, the sex they were born into. And, you know, it's really sad. I mean, the whole thing is sad, but... Um, these poor kids who, and, and that's another part of the, I don't want to blame everything on the, on the pandemic, but that was another part of it, you know, when they were in lockdowns and separated from each other, other than on social media and so on, you know, it, it really, um, got kids to feel lost when they came back to school. But, um, you know, it, what, what's really sad is that these kids don't realize that this is all part, they are part of, of the agenda, the depopulation agenda. The reason why all of this um, pressure to become the sex that you, other than what you were born with and to have all these hormones and surgery. And, you know, basically what that's doing is, is creating a, a, pop, a, a population that wouldn't be able to procreate. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, they're part of it. They don't realize that they're being used as the part of the agenda to have fewer people in the world. You know, one one thing I point out is that this is actually some of the most hardcore eugenics that you could possibly envision. This is hardcore eugenics. We are sterilizing children. We're removing their gonads. We're removing, like, I mean, to have species in the future, to have a population in the future, you need sperm and eggs. Those are being removed from these children. This is hardcore eugenics is what's happening. Yeah, I want and to just check in that. Sorry, I, sorry, sorry, I don't understand is why it hasn't been brought out more, you know, that they are victims of this. Hmm. Yeah, I, I want to just chip in with something that uh, Dr. Robert Malone said earlier this week. Dr. Robert Malone was very prominent, um, exposing the nonsense about the, um, the, the mandate during the lockdowns and the, uh, he was quite prominent in saying that um, we're going through fifth generation warfare. Um, this is eff effectively the third world war. It's a war of hearts and minds. It's fifth generation because it's asymmetrical warfare, Carol, you know, and, and as a psychologist, as a psychiatrist, you can probably uh, put your finger on what, what's going on here because manipulation is through the media. It's through social media, it's the, through peer pressure and the teachers, these are so-called passive influencers, aren't they? They, um, the woke agenda is actually global. And I want to just make the point that uh, you're referring specifically to the US phenomenon. I can tell you over here in the UK and I can tell you in Australia, it's the same thing. The woke agenda is leading to absenteeism. absenteeism. 140,000 UK pupils are severely absent from school. That's an increase of 134% since the pandemic. Uh, one in five pupils in England are persistently absent. Um, in Australia, I'll give you another figure. The, the figure is actually just as bad. Um, 
There's a drop in attendance and the key driver of non-attendance is dissatisfaction with the the woke agenda. Uh, ABC mm. News Australia are pointing out that there's a 2% drop this year. Um, it, it's not just a pandemic. It's continuing on, isn't it, Carol? It's, the seed has been sown. It's infesting the, the, the minds of young people. And it's like an avalanche now, isn't it? Yes, yes. Um, you know, of course, I wish we would have seen these things coming because, you know, even before the pandemic, there were, I mean, teachers in uh, teaching schools, schools that teachers have to go to to become teachers, that this woke agenda already was being um, laid down in these teaching schools, uh, graduate schools. And, um, and of course, now it's become more and more evident. But, um, and, you know, it's, I mean, are we going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle? Um, it, it's, we have to do something, obviously, because this can't, uh, this can't go on. I think, you know, here uh, in America, one of the things uh, that is trying, you know, is going to be hopefully uh, somewhat effective, although it's going to take a while, is the lawsuits. Um, people who were convinced to become trans um, are now uh, filing lawsuits against uh, doctors and hospitals and hospital uh, organizations like Kaiser and so on. Um, who who convinced them, you know, after talking to them for 45 minutes, convinced them to go through with all of this transitioning. <clears throat> and so mm. there are some people detransitioning and who are filing lawsuits. Now, it's so far, it's like a, a drop in the bucket. Actually, an interesting thing just happened, a uh, shocking thing. Um, there was there's a book that came out published by the American Psychiatric Association um, talking about uh, gender, what they call, gender affirmation, um, promoting it, basically, the Psychiatric Association. I mean, our world has gone nuts. <laughs> if the psychiatrists are that crazy, yeah. there is no hope. <laughs> Well, yeah, if I can um, follow on, follow, follow up on that, yeah. and John, you used to be a teacher. Maybe you'd want to address it, but obviously, Carol, too. Um, questions for you. Um, so, what's so strange about this, John? You mentioned the teachers. Um, so we have Danielle Smith is our premier uh, lady in uh, in Alberta, Canada here. So she just passed a law saying that, you know, no transition, no drugs for minors, which, you know, the conservative population was very happy to have some protection for the, for the children. So of all people, it was the Alberta Teachers Association this past weekend set up a big protest in Calgary here. And it was a bunch of teachers, teachers, not parents, not people from the public. It was teachers hundreds of teachers set up this big protest for daniel smith saying protect our school children please allow us to talk to them about gender transition why are teachers why is this an embedded just part of their job now is that they want to be able to t tell our children about removing their their gonads I, I don't understand why teachers feel that that's their responsibility can you explain this strange phenomenon? Well, well you know, I, I think it started in their schools, in the teacher schools, um, graduate schools. Um, I think, you know, the population of LGBTQ plus people have been infiltrating the, have been infiltrating everywhere, but particularly infiltrating um, teaching schools. And, um, and that, so they can you know, be near children. That's gross. 
it, it, it's it's so sad and um you know I, I mean i think maybe the the one of the ways also of fighting this is making it clear to these kids that they are victims of um this this agenda to depopulate the world yeah I also want to add, again, as a perspective from a, a male high school teacher, what, one thing I can point to is the drastic decline. Uh, the male teachers are leaving the classrooms. Uh, I'll give you an example here. Um, reported um, in 2020, the proportion of male teachers teaching in high school has dropped 35% in the UK. And I know the figures are similar in the US. I used to live in New York. And I can tell you um, it's getting harder and harder to find any male school teachers, especially in primary schools. Um, you just don't see male school teachers. One in three primary schools have no male teachers. Again, we have uh, an agenda here. The woke agenda is actually talking about things like toxic masculinity. Um, again, there's been an argument over the years, past 20 years, that there's a feminization of the education system. Um, what, what, what would you say to that one? Well, it's very unfortunate because, um, you know, male students really need role models, male teacher role models. Um, you know, I'm not sure whether it's uh, whether it's the, the pay that, you know, um, for why there are fewer male teachers that they feel they have to make more money or whether they feel like um, th th there's a hostile environment in the schools towards them from the women teachers. Um, I'm not really mm -hmm. sure what the major factor in is with that, but it's very a very unfortunate uh, trend. Yeah, I think there's a multiplicity of, of threat vectors here and I'm, we're going to take a short break. This is TNT Radio. Yeah, I'm mean, talking about the illness. Actually, that has done, has been doing the rounds. Not have we only seen a, uh, a mass influx of people waving their COVID tests online. Look, I got a red line. It's like, oh my God, people are testing. Or people, you know, trying to encourage others to wear their masks. Um, but there has been a talk of a dry cough. There have been doctors coming out saying we've seen loads of cases of that. Uh, have you been suffering from, you know, a bit of cough and flu or cold or COVID? Well, Darren, I COVID. I, I just I just did my eighth test oh, and okay. um, I, I'm just going to keep doing it until I get lines and lines. Why? Well, because work's coming back up, isn't it? Digging Deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk TNT. In a democracy, the majority vote rules. But in most democracies, you can only vote for change every three or four years. To understand what people want, governments and political parties use focus groups. These focus groups can include as little as 20 people. Australia is a country of over 25 million people. Does making decisions based on 20 people sound fair to you? Have your say. Be heard in between elections. Download the 4 My Say app now. That is number 4 My Say. Today's News Talk Radio. Now we're talking. TNT. Hi, welcome back to Sky Dragon Slang. We're very privileged, privileged to have with us Dr. Carol Lieberman, uh, America's medical doctor. She um, first really gained prominence back in 2011 when she came out with the uh, controversial comment that uh, video games are causing aggression and they lead to sexual assault. And, uh, you know, that's a very controversial thing. And uh, I'm tending to agree with that. Joe, Joe Postman, you've got something to add to that idea, haven't you? 
Yeah, well, we were discussing previously about the chronic absenteeism and how, you know, when the students came back after the pandemic, they just didn't want to try anymore and they weren't interested. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to see, obviously, with these screen, this screen time issue that we have, you, you just get massive dopamine hits. You're constantly being flooded with dopamine, which is, you know, the, the reward chemical uh, that your brain uses to feel like you've accomplished something. When you're actually accomplishing nothing, it just makes you feel good. So, you know, nowadays, everyone, even children, are carrying around uh, these screens in their pockets. Uh, yeah, that's totally going to remove any incentive to want to put in the work to do good and get that A or 95% or 98% on a test, man, that takes a lot of time and work. You can just look at your screen and feel even better, right? So do you think that this chronic screen time use is contributing to the the dismal performance uh, uh, for, for students in academia and, and the absenteeism? Yes, well, um, yes, I have been talking about um, violent video games. You know, I testified before Congress several times about this, the influence of violent media, particularly video games. Um, I went up against the video manufacturers, uh, video game manufacturers, and first I was talking about television and movies, and then of course, video games are a lot worse. Do you know, um, all the school shooters, there, there's a certain profile for school shooters, and included in that is an obsession with violent video games. Um, so, so the fact that kids are allowed in some places to bring their phones to, into class, I mean, that's an absurd, uh, situation because of course they're going to be more interested in looking at, um, what's ever on their phone, whether it's social media or violent video games or whatever. Um, that's no competition for, <laughs> for a teacher, you know, standing in the front and trying to, um, to teach something. I mean, of course, in a perfect world, the kids should be more interested in learning what the teacher has to say, but it's it's really, uh, certain they should not be allowed. No phones <clears throat> should be allowed in schools. No. What is it? Can you point to some actual um, scientific studies? You know, give us some flavor of what the science is telling us in terms of the influence of these games and social media generally on the, on the mental health of young people. Well, yes, um, I was the head of the National Coalition on TV Violence, and we didn't just look at TV. As I was saying, we went through, looked at all the different um, contributors to violence. And there have been studies for decades, decades, um, showing that the more violent media you consume, the more aggressive you become. Now, of course, you know, everybody wants to say, uh, well, you know, I, I watched lots of um, television or I played lots of video games or I didn't kill anybody, you know. Uh, well, maybe you didn't kill anybody, but the level of aggression, the level of violence there is undoubtedly has, has increased in the world, in the world. And I used, I was, used to sit, talk about that, too, um, how the fact that America uh, sends violent video games around the world that this is having an effect not only on the individuals, but on creating more violence in the countries, you know, more. And, and of course, it's coming true. Um, and, and, you know, it's not just a matter of becoming a serial killer. It's like more domestic violence, more road rage, more air rage. We see it all over. I also would like to pick up on something that I noticed during the pandemic where uh, schools are being shut down for long periods of time. 
And uh, there were studies showing that the fact that children at home were spending a great deal of time online and accessing pornography, especially over here in the UK, um, the you actually self-certify. You're over 18. You go on to one of these porn sites. It just a, a, a window pops up and says, are you over 18? And you click yes. And you might be 12 or 13. And you have access to compl- a complete range of hardcore pornography. And it's something, again, along with violence, the, the, another contributing factor in the degeneration of the well-being of young people. Yes, yes, that is true too. You know, um, it was actually in England where um, it was an MP. I can't remember what his name was, but um, you know, I do I do a lot of work on terrorism um, since nine eleven. I've been uh, I call myself the terrorist therapist, and I've been helping people cope with the memories of nine eleven, and I've been helping them prepare for you know ongoing or incoming <laughs> terror attacks. And of course, that's you know that's been happening too um and it's gonna get worse of course um but um there was a an, an mp that was killed in the uk um and that's where i first saw the term bedroom terrorists and it was referring to uh i mean yes he was a real terrorist a radical islamist terrorist but um also it's it has to do with i've been using it to refer to how during the pandemic during the lockdowns um, when people, when kids especially, but people, not just kids, um, were home and they had so much more time on their hands, so many people spent so many more hours on these violent video games and they became essentially bedroom terrorists because when the when the lockdowns were over and people came out, they were loaded for bear. Do you, do you remember what I'm, what I'm talking, the MP I'm talking about? Yeah, female MP, uh, she was attacked in the streets and again, it was a terrible uh it was a, a real uh, watershed moment, I think, uh, because uh, you, you found that MPs were demanding police protection constantly. You know, it was uh, a, a mate, unheard of in the UK to have that kind of thing. We, we're a nation uh, that generally we're governed by consent. We have an unarmed police force generally. And, uh, you know, we're not normally given to, to seeing that kind of crime. And as you say, there's a ramping up of hatred, uh, ramping up of uh, this kind of, uh, it's like a switch, you know, the, there's no more discussion anymore. The the extremism is, is on all, all spectrums. You're left and right, you're either extreme right, you're extreme left. Moderates don't exist anymore, do they, Carol, I, I think? Yes, um, it's been shocking to see what's been happening around the world in general, talking about terrorism. I mean, after October 7th, when uh, the terrorist group Hamas invaded Israel, um, to see all these groups, uh, protesters, um, violent protesters all over the world in the UK, I was, I, I was particularly shocked to see that in the UK, <laughs> where everybody's supposed to be more civilized, right? I lived in the UK for a while, um, mm. but uh, yes, I mean, you know, people, it, it's like um, there's so much anger. And, and a lot of that did come from the lockdowns, but just in general, there is so much anger in the world that things, there you, you can light a fuse, um, like, you know, very easily. I mean, obviously what happened on October 7th was uh, major, but, but people are just ready. You know, nothing, let's say, not necessarily political, but just people are just ready to explode. Mm. Carol, you, you think this is- you're- Sorry, Joe. 
Carol, yeah, so so you've been discussing this uh, this ten percent chronic absenteeism in school. So is there a, a a racial demographic statistic available on on that number? Does it typically fall? Well, I haven't seen um, a racial statistic specifically connected to that number, but we know that um, you know in poorer areas, in any case where there are more burnt out teachers, less school supplies, um, more kids in class, well, <laughs> until they leave. Um, you know, when, when it's primarily related to, to economics, you know, where, um, where certain schools are less, are, le are less attentive to the students. Um, it's easier to drop out and be sort of anonymous. Mm. I have a number. I mean, just uh, chuck into the, your question, Joe. Is there, is there like a racial uh, division here? And, and the only evidence I, I've been able to find is um, reported in the Guardian back in in 2018, where they they're finding that uh, black students are in the UK are quitting university more often than white people. 10.3% um, of black students uh, quit university in the first year in England, compared to 6.9% of white students. Um, there are arguments being put forward that this is because of the very reason that, you know, that we want people with diversity and um, black students are getting entrance into top tier universities where they're probably not comfortable anyway. And I think it's kind of backfiring this affirmative action kind of policy. Uh, would you agree with that, Carol? Yes. I mean, that is um, that's been happening in America, too, where people who, well, you know, <laughs> Do, do you know, um, I mean, of course, it's largely it's the schools to blame. Um, but like in, in American medical schools, I saw this study. It was it was shocking. Um, they American medical schools are now um, not when when they uh, when they look at the admission criteria, um, they are preferring students, not necessarily based on their grades, but based on how much social justice volunteer work they did. I mean, um, you know, I don't know about you, but um, I would like a doctor who is smarter, not who yeah. spent his time uh, doing social justice uh, protesting. Um, it's and, and hospitals, I mean, this, this whole woke, this whole, uh, it, it's just infiltrated everywhere. And, you know, yeah. you know, there's a lot of talk in America about how, uh, the mental health um, of Americans has, and particularly kids, but but all Americans, um, has really gone down, and uh, it's because of this topsy turvy world that is just making everybody mad. I mean, you know, boys or girls, um, uh, cancel culture, just all these different things. You don't get in based on your grades; you get in on based on your protesting. I mean, it, it, the world has gone crazy, and yeah. um, and there's no way to get away from it. I mean, that's the part that is driving people crazy because you can't get away from it anywhere. We've had um, many guests like, like your good self come on, qualified people in, in various professions, make the point that this is not an accident. This is actually um, part of a program, as Joe pointed out. The eugenics program, it's not just causing people to make physical choices that uh, you know, changing bodies and the trans movement and so forth, but also mental choices to, to become less sociable. You know, the idea that encouraging people to play video games, to be on their own, 
the solitary life, it, again, we've got all this social media, all these uh, means of contacting each other, but yet we're having less and less physical interaction, aren't we? Yes, yes. Uh, the, the loneliness, you know, the number of people who feel lonely has increased astronomically. And that you can kind of see that can be sort of blamed on the on the lockdowns because when everybody was locked down in their own little house, even if it was with a family, you know, not just one person, um, still you lose socialization skills. And when we came out of the lockdown, it's it's harder to to socialize. It's harder to, um, I mean, you became so so uh, used to not socializing, just you know. Uh, amusing yourself. Um, it's that, and it's also affecting, of course, getting back to population. But even if you remain the sex you were born with, um, it is also affecting people's sex life. You know, people aren't having sex as much as they did before the pandemic. And mm. uh, so, like, there's all these, uh, you know, and then you have to wonder, of course. Now, of course, it was China, you know, the that started the pandemic. But well, actually, you could look at it a different way. You know, American money, in a sense, funded that research, um, gain of function research. But, but in any case, um, I mean, you can't. You have to wonder. It, it seems like this was all part of the destruction of the world. Mm. I mean, planned, pre-planned. Yeah, I, I, we made the point that these eugenicists—they're actually Malthusians. They—they they like the idea to put forward the the idea that there's a limit to growth. There's only so so much available to, on the earth. And uh, again, we, we talk about overpopulation. We've been crammed into 15-minute cities, and again, it's the the irony is here, Carol, that um, we're more and more lonely, but more and more confined to these highly populated urban zones, aren't we? And again, it's rife for crime, rife for hatred, and rife for all kinds of negative aspects that we want to try and put right. Yes, um, that concept is also a crazy concept. I mean, of course, you know, excuse me. <coughs> We can look to the uh, World Economic Forum for a lot of this stuff. Yeah, Klaus Schwab. I mean, we, we've seen it before, and also the young, uh, the Young Leaders Initiative, where pretty much every politician nowadays, especially in the West, we, we got from Trudeau over over here in the UK, we've got Rishi Sunak. We've got people who are kind of from a very early age. They're earmarked for high office, and they're groomed um, by the the so called elites. You know, the billionaire class. Um, and so it kind of undermines the whole concept of democracy and the, the ability to, for the people to choose their leaders. Yes, I, I can't believe what's been happening to Canada with Trudeau. I mean, between his um, suicide uh, squads or plans, you know, anybody can ask to be put to death um, <laughs> if you have acne. <laughs> I mean, if you have anything. Uh, you're unhappy. You don't. Another thing is, if you don't have enough money, you're unhappy because you you're poor. I mean, just any excuse whatsoever, and and now you can get um, euthanized. They, they just they just wait people out now. Yeah, this is the whole death panel idea that it, you know it costs too much money to keep you know old people who aren't economically viable anymore. And you know once they're old enough, they're going to start collecting the pension. Well, hey. Just wait them out. That's what they're doing to old people now. They just wait them out. Be like, oh, yeah, okay, so you need cancer treatment. You need a transplant. You need something. Oh, you can have that in three months or, or six months. And then they get yeah. there and it's like, oh, well, you know what? You might have to wait another three months. But guess what? You can just euthanize yourself. They're actually literally doing that now. 
They're just mm-hmm. saying, look, it's just going to take take so long and it's going to cost a lot of money. Why don't you just be euthanized? And these poor old people are, are having to do it because, you know, in some cases they have no other options. They don't have uh, the family support or whatever it is. And uh, mm-hmm. society just says in the, in the death panel, Trudeau's death panel system just says, well, hey, we'll just euthanize you. Mm. Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, it used to be that if someone, uh, well, first of all, it used to not be allowed altogether, but um, then it used to be, or it is in some places still, that you have to show that you are psychologically, that you understand psychologically what you're doing, what you're asking for. Um, but now, you know, that they have just uh, made away with that in Canada. You don't have to explain anything. You don't have to be psychologically sound. Yeah. Uh, We're going to take a short break now. This is TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Last week, Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI, testified before Congress and talked all about the threat that China poses to us, and it was downright frightening. The CCP's dangerous actions, China's multi-pronged assault on our national and economic security make it the defining threat of our generation. Now, when I described the CCP as a threat to American safety a moment ago, I meant that quite literally. There has been far too little public focus on the fact that PRC hackers are targeting our critical infrastructure. Seemingly everything we need to survive. Our water treatment plants, our electrical grid, our oil and natural gas pipelines, our transportation systems, and the risk that poses to every American requires our attention now. And get this, we even have a time frame for this impending disaster. The budgets that emerge from discussions underway now will dictate what kind of resources we have ready in 2027, a year that as this committee knows all too well, the CCP has circled on its calendar. Oh, we have three years to neutralize this existential threat. Don't you feel better? I don't. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday right here on TNT. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. We ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize Daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Uh, welcome back. Uh, we're very happy to have with us Dr. Carol Lieberman, America's psychiatrist. And um, we can't really uh, carry on without m- mentioning one of the big talking points of the week, uh, Dr. Lieberman, the um, the mental health of the U.S. President Joe Biden. Um, 
it's getting a, a you know worse and worse by the month um it's you know a festering wound isn't it for the democrat party what is your professional take on the whole thing well i'll tell you um it's it's a little frustrating for me because um i have been talking about this i called it encroaching dementia i have been talking about this since biden was running originally in 2020 from his basement i was on a number of media outlets talking about how he has encroaching dementia now i'm a um a forensic psychiatrist i mean one of my hats is that i'm a forensic psychiatrist and an expert witness and so amongst my various cases i do criminal and civil and all of that but um amongst all these cases there have been a fair number that have to do with competency like for example if two children are arguing about their parents will you know and one is saying oh well he wasn't competent when he signed that will and that kind of thing so i was very attuned you know to to seeing the symptoms in joe biden right from the very beginning and um of course you know he got elected or or so the or so they say um and uh and and since that time his encroaching dementia has been encroaching ever more and now of course you don't have to be a psychiatrist to tell that he has dementia um it has you know at the beginning when he was running they they first of all they hit him in the basement but also um they kept saying, oh, well, that was just, that's just Joe. He makes these gaffes, you know, it's nothing, it's not serious. And as the years have gone by, of course, it's become more and more obvious. I mean, from having to have the Easter Bunny lead him around, you know, he he always gets lost when he, I mean, it's kind of a known thing. When he reads, finishes reading the teleprompter, um, he kind of looks around, it's like, uh-oh, now what do I do? I don't have instructions as to what to say or do. Um, but it's gotten worse and worse. You know, he was just, well, the worst thing, I think. Well, actually, um, <laughs> excuse me, one of the worst things, and this, the, w- one of the major effects, let's put it that way, um, of his, of his um, dementia was um, with the, with the incredible, incredible, the surrender, first of all, in Afghanistan, and the way that it was incredibly botched, not only shouldn't there have been a surrender, but the way it happened was incredibly botched. And the reason why that, I think, is the most significant thing that he did, and, and basically it had to do with um, one of the the symptoms of, of uh, dementia, is that you can't have your, your analytic thinking um, deteriorates. It's the kind of thinking that people have when they play chess. You know, people who play chess have really excellent um analytical or abstract thinking because they can see not only what's going to happen if they make this move um but what the next person is going to do their their opposition and then the next one and then you know they go many steps um forward now he his um abstract thinking is is deteriorated and he couldn't see what would happen if he did this or then that or that now, of course, part of it also was Obama in the background whispering in his ear, and Obama is the worst president that America ever had. I mean, putting aside Joe Biden's <laughs> dementia. But um, th- when that happened, that is when the rest of the world started realizing, uh-oh, you know, or, or great, we have a president in America who, who can't think. Um, now is our time to move forward. And so that's when Russia invaded Ukraine, that's when China started acting up. 
Iran, North Korea, all of the enemies, of course, terrorists, all of the enemies of America came out of the woodwork and realized, here's our moment. And that's when everything in the world, you know, all the different pieces um, started coming, moving and um, and feeling like it was free, you know, free. They could do what they want. And, and that has made, um, of course, that has had a huge effect on the world. Well, it just seems like there's such a double standard in the media compared to Trump. I mean, Trump couldn't do anything without a complete full frontal at, at, attack. Meanwhile, Biden seems to be able to get away with just, uh, yeah, like you said, ridiculous behavior. I was wondering uh, if you want to give us your take as well on, uh, did you see the the interview between uh, Tucker Carlson and, and Vladimir Putin? Yes. Your thoughts on that? Uh, I was glued. I thought that was amazing. Um you know, it's so interesting how Putin has been made out in America to be the boogeyman, to be this our number one enemy, of course, other than China. And, you know, but I mean, for a long time, I mean, I think it's um, like with the Cold War and all of that. And it was so interesting to see him talk and not be what the stereotype or the image was that people had of him. I mean, first of all, it was really impressive that he was able to just sit there and recount the history of Russia like uh, like he was reading it. And I'm not, I, I don't think he was reading it. I'm not saying that. But, excuse me. It just showed how intelligent he is and how and how he knows all these things. Um, I, I think it's not the image that people had of him. And um, and I thought also that um you know, I don't know that everything that he said was accurate in terms of like saying that, you know, that, that certain that that um, certain people got in the way um, of peace and, and uh, uh, the accord that they wrote in Turkey. I mean, I, I don't know the accuracy of all of the things that he said. Uh, other, I mean, I don't have a reason to doubt the accuracy of the history of Russia, but in terms of more modern things and more current things in regard to Ukraine and so on, um, I can't speak to that. But I can certainly, I mean, you know, it, it seemed like if if people could get together um, and talk rationally about these things and intelligently about these things, you know, that would be the way to, first of all, end the war in Ukraine. And um, and just in general, you know, for leaders to to get together and talk. I mean, he was just going on and on. He, he would have continued talking. Um, and I thought that that was very generous. You know, I mean, of course, he wants to make his points. You know, he wants everybody to hear, to hear his points and all that. But um, it was just such a um, such a calm, such a uh, an intelligent sort of discussion. I, it was very impressive. Yeah, a two hour interview. And you can you get the gist of somebody's uh, thought patterns. You get the gist of their sensibilities very clearly in a two hour interview like that, which was clearly not scripted and again a lot of people especially here in the left-wing media would like to paint the picture that uh that uh, tucker carlson was putin's puppet and you anybody who says anything that's even slightly positive about russia or putin is called putin's puppet um again contrasting compare with joe biden you, you you hardly ever see the guy do more than a minute or two and uh, again nobody's mentioning the 25th amendment and again the 25th amendment was always mentioned with donald trump you know, the left wing media would always throw that one out. Um, and now they saying that, well, the 25th Amendment is only for high crimes and misdemeanors and poor old Joe Biden being senile. It, it doesn't count. And yet he's up against 
Vladimir Putin, who's a very sharp cookie. Um, it's not a fair fight, is it, if there was World War III? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's such a, brings up such a scary image, you know? Um, I, I mean, uh, yes, I, I think, well, first of all, um, of course, there's this, there's this lawfare. I don't know if you've, if you're familiar yeah, with the uh, term, but yeah, very, very towards yeah. Uh, yeah. Trump, um, you know, they're trying to get at him every which way. I think Trump is America's last hope. Um, and uh, but, you know, there's all this trying to tie him up in all these um, in all these cases. And, you know, some people are trying to say, like, if, if Trump makes a slip, uh, a minor slip, you know, they jump all over him. Oh, he has dementia, too, you know, which is ridiculous. Um I mean, it's amazing that Trump is dealing with all of these cases and his campaign and all that. Um, you know, if he makes a slip here, here or there with his mind having to go in 50 million directions, I think it's excusable. And it's not about age. Another thing, um, you know, with Biden, for example, they talked about um, uh, age. It's not I mean. It's not about age. There are people who live to 100 who are still sharp as a tack. My mother lived to 101 and a half, and she was still sharp as a tack when she died. Um, and uh, so it's not that. It's about, you know, it's about what is your health. Um, and Biden, Biden, when he was younger, um, he had two uh, aneurysms, brain aneurysms, and a brain bleed. And so uh, we know that there are problems in his brain, you know, scars, presumably from that and so on. And also he is currently, he's been taking um, uh, medication for an arrhythmia, um, atrial fibrillation, which can cause transient ischemic attacks. You know, if, if um, your heart stops, if, if enough blood if enough oxygen doesn't get into your brain at a particular time. But but what he has is more than just transient ischemic attacks. But, um, but you know, the, the most common dementia is, is uh, Alzheimer's, but then comes vascular dementia and then uh, Lewy body dementia. And I, I would say, you know, if I was examining him, I actually wrote a, a um, an op-ed, uh, invite, this is about a year ago, inviting Biden to... Um, to take a um, a mental test, you know, I'm still waiting for the phone to ring, but um, but you know, of course, he wasn't going to. He he still is refusing to do it now, um, but he would not have passed, you know, the basic the screening test that there is. He would not have passed, um, and and yes, we should all, you know, I, I was also talking about the twenty once he did become president. I was talking about the twenty fifth amendment, you know, for years, and um. Now they are thinking about it. Um, of course, you know the big problem is that if he if he's put out by the Twenty Fifth Amendment or or anything, um, then we have Kamala Harris, who is like <laughs> she is a bigger threat to America. I mean, she's she's uh, uh, first of all, sh she would be even more of a puppet for Obama. Um, but she just she just doesn't know what she's doing. You know, you know how she's always giggling. It's like she can't believe that she's vice president. She's still giggling about that. <laughs> yeah, it's a dire situation, and and I think going back to the just to circle back to our original conversation about the the education system and about the impression you get because these are 
it's meant to be the highest office in America, the highest public office, US president. What a role model. You know, you couldn't get much worse than Joe Biden. You mentioned yeah. that, uh, Obama as well. You know, it's uh, yeah, yeah. it's a travesty, isn't it? Well, in, co- in contrasting it to Putin, it's just so embarrassing. I just felt embarrassment when I when I was watching. I felt embarrassment for the West. I, I thought that we have nobody on on this level. I, I just felt embarrassed, and I felt I thought that Tucker, like as well as he did, he kind of seemed like a Bambi in the in the headlights. He he was out of his <laughs> out of his depth and out of his league. It seemed like, uh, yeah. And we have these embarrassing people representing us, don't we, Carol? Well, you know, I mean, I don't know that I can't think of anybody other than Trump, but and I don't even know. Uh, well, Trump would have done it differently. Um, but I mean, I don't we do have some intelligent people in America. The problem is they don't run, they're smart enough to not run for office. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, I mean, I know um, he did look um, Tucker did look a little deer in headlights. That is true. But you have to give him credit for doing what he did, you know, to the extent that he was able to do it. I think also the 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 occasion itself, it was a major coup, isn't it? I mean, on the world stage, on the world media stage, because I think it was a watershed moment because the mainstream media had no answer, did they? They were really left dumbfounded because Tucker Carlson literally pulls in hundreds of millions of views and uh that probably will be the, the the biggest interview of the year, you know, if not the, the decade, because it, again, we are the backdrop is potential World War Three, uh, potential uh, the the ending of the American unipolar system, the idea of the multipolar BRICS nation coming to the fore, and who's leading it? Vladimir Putin, and who's opposing him? Joe Biden. It's not good optics, is it, Carol? Yes, I mean he was able to. T- he- <laughs> It was he had sort of a command of the whole world situation. Again, we can't say that um, you know. Of course, it's through his eyes, but still, um, I don't think you'd be able to find many people who would have been able to talk about those things like that just off the cuff, you know, spontaneously for for two hours. Um, I hope that it works towards, you know, the part, for example, where he talked about. Um, that he wants to sit down, he wants to have peace talks. Um, I, he wasn't lying, or you know, about that. Um, and 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 then, so that I saw something today, for example, um, about Zelensky, uh, you know, talking about how he was he fired somebody in the military, and he's going to fire somebody else. I mean, you know, it's so sad that after we all saw, I'm sure Zelensky saw that interview. Um, after we all saw that. It's so sad that people aren't like uh, um, coming together more to have these talks rather than talking about, you know, hiring a, a better military head. Um, oh, it, it's just, um, you know, in America has I was all for for America giving money to um, Ukraine at the beginning. But now that we've seen, first of all, that that I mean, I like Zelensky, but I mean, but I mean, enough is kind of it was very that was interesting too. what Putin was talking about in regard to the Nazis in in um, in Ukraine and so on. Um, but uh, but I mean, you know, we are in America, we are giving so we have been giving and are continuing to give so much money to Ukraine. And the thing is that now that we know um, that Joe Biden, I mean, we've kind of known it for a while, but it's but it's become more uh, talked about that um, Joe Biden has connections 
to Ukraine. They have, in other words, they have something on him. Um, he, he's giving them all that money because he doesn't want them to expose, you know, his connection, why they paid his son all this money and all of that. So now I'm kind of less uh, uh, excited about or enthusiastic about uh, giving Ukraine money. I think all that money should go to Israel. Carol, it's been such a pleasure. The hour has flown by in, in 30 seconds or less. And that's a very short time. J just give us a flavor of, of, of your work. Where, where, where can we go to check out more of your work? Well, um, the main um, place is my website, terroristtherapist.com. Terroristtherapist.com. Um, because that, I feel, is the number one problem. Terrorists are, are have global jihad. It's not just about Israel. We're all Israel. And of course, their intention for over a thousand years has been global jihad. I'm sure you, you, you see that in, in the UK, you see it in Europe, um, all the, the uh, migrants from the radical Islamist countries. So I, I hate to cut so, you off, Dr. Carol Lieberman. It's such a pleasure having you on TNT Radio Sky, Dragon Slang. Thank you very much. A pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Carol.